As you guys know, we've been going through um, the book of Ephesians, uh, the letter to the church of Ephesus to be more specific. And if you guys are familiar with what happened and about the Ephesians, um, they, they were not, uh, they were a church that was in turmoil. They were dealing with racial division. If you look in Acts chapter 19, the entire city is rioting against them because they are threatening the economy of the worship of Artemis and they are threatening the very foundations of what makes Ephesus quote-unquote great. So they're under tremendous persecution and, and later on in Revelation chapter 2, we see that the Nicolaitans, they are challenging them also. So they're, they're getting physical persecution, they're getting theological persecution, and there's just everywhere around them, they are suffering and struggling. So this is not a letter written to people who have all of their ducks in order. Um, we know well that the people in Ephesus were struggling with many kinds of sins, and not only on a moral level, they're just going under lots of trial, and so the letter to Ephesians is good news for us because it's written to people who are kind of like us, messes and needing grace and needing hope and in a rough situation. But let me ask you this. If I told you that description and I said, what prayer would you pray for those kind of people? If you could pray one thing for those people, what would you pray? Would you pray for good health, protection from harm, from spiritual danger? Would you pray for prosperity would you pray for happiness, good relationships, good careers, good health? And in fact, if you look at Paul, what he prays in Ephesians chapter 1, he prays for none of those. While none of those are wrong to pray for, he has limited ink and he prays this one prayer. Now I ask you this, if you could pray one prayer for a fellow Christian, if you could pray one prayer for me, one prayer for one another, what would that be? The pastors of All People's Church, we pray for you regularly, every one of you by name, every member. Um, And this last Wednesday, we were interceding on your behalf and praying for each one of you and seeking God for you because we love you deeply. Um, But you know what we pray, we should pray for the most after prepping the sermon this week? We should pray Ephesians chapter 1, verses 16 through 20. We should pray that more than ever. In God's kindness, when about 10 years ago, more than 10 years ago, someone taught me to pray this prayer every day, pray this prayer. And I haven't prayed it every day, but almost every day for the last decade, I've prayed this prayer. Joanna hears me pray this prayer often, and I am rekindled, this study of this text this last week rekindled my love for this and how much we need it. And so I've committed myself to praying this over you guys regularly. So what's this? What what is this prayer? This is how I sum up the passage, okay? Father, may the Holy Spirit give us eyes to see all of who you are and eyes to see all of who we are in Christ. All of who we are, all of what we have. And so it's a two-part to this prayer. I want my people, I want these people to see God And then I also want them to see themselves accurately in Christ and all the riches that we have in Christ. And so to start off, let's ground ourselves in the context of this. um, You know, I just want to say it is so sweet to have you, Nick. Nick Offenkamp is in the house and um, one of the pastors at City's Church, our mother church. And so it's good to have you, brother. 
and good to embarrass you in front of everybody. I love it. I love it. Um, one of the benefits of being a small church plant, we can do things like that. So let me ground ourselves in the context of what we go to when before we get to verse 15. For the last three weeks, we've been kind of going over this huge praise that Paul's been doing. So if you look at your Bible, starting in verse 3, he talks about this, these riches, these blessings that we have in Christ in the heavenly places. And then he talks about three great blessings that we have. The first one we talked in the first week was that God graciously, as a father, predestines us for adoption, and he delights in doing it. And then the next week, Pastor Ross talked about only the blood of Jesus can truly redeem us, and so Jesus redeems us and wins us by his blood. And then last week, we talked about the Holy Spirit is our guarantee that we get God and he gets us. And so Paul is just going, like, for lack of better terms, bananas. He's just going crazy, praising God, saying, hey, this is something God has done for you. Oh my gosh, amazing, and praises God. And he said, this is another thing. And he praises, and he praises, and praises. And like we said in the previous week, we have this already not yet reality happening. In other words, these are all promises that God has purchased for us, but we don't fully have them. So we experience them in part, but one day when Jesus comes back, we're going to experience them fully. And so the beginning of the verse talks about the very before, before the foundations of time, he predestines us, and then the verse ends in verse 14 in this beautiful picture of glorification. Because when Jesus comes back, he'll make all things new and we'll finally be with him face to face. And then all these promises will be experienced. But until then, we're still in this broken, fallen world. And so that, that's why Christians, we can still deal with depression and sadness and pain and our hearts are prone to wander and Lord, we feel it. But, but, but the good news is that this promise and what we're going to have in Christ is so real and so certain that we can experience that joy today. And so like I told you guys last week, imagine you're working with a coworker and you're doing something really boring at your job, and your coworker just has just this silly, cheesy smile on their face, and you're like, yo, why are you smiling like that? This is so boring. This is the worst job. And your friend's like, I'm going to Disney World tomorrow, right? It's the happiest place in the world, right? Isn't that what they advertise? And so the joy, the anticipation, what am I saying? Anticipation. I'm glad I don't speak for a living, right? <laughs> So this anticipation of this future reality going to, to Disney World is overflowing into the present. And so in the same way for us Christians, the more and more our hearts get caught up into the future realities that are so sure and promised and guaranteed, the more we get to experience the joy today. Even if our life is in disarray, even if everything looks like it's falling apart, we can have greater joy. And that's the kind of joy that the world says, why are you happy? How can you have peace? How can you have joy? Your life is falling apart. You just lost, lost this person or this relationship or this job or you're sick with cancer. And that kind of joy can only happen if we have this heavenly vision. So that was summing up the last three weeks. And we remember Paul right now is writing in prison. So this is why it's a prison epistle. And he is full of joy, yet he's in prison. And his body may be in prison, but his heart is in the heavens. His heart is seeing a greater reality, and that gets to our text in verse 15. So if you could look in your Bibles, if you have one, if you don't, there's a pew Bible in front of you, and if you need a Bible, let us know. We'd love to get you one. Verse 15. For this reason, and they should be on the screen too, I'm, a, I'm reading from the NIV. For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus, and your love for all pe God's people. I almost said all people, so you guys see what I did? I'm just so used to saying all peoples. Um, 
shameless plugs everywhere in the Bible. I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. Now, first of all, these are Christians he's speaking about. And what a glorious way to describe a Christian is that there are people who have faith and they have love. Faith and love. And I love Paul's heart. And I, don't, I, I wish I could just talk, preach a whole sermon on this, but I wish I was like Paul. He loved people so much that he's praying for them all the time. He's thinking about them all the time. And oh, that I would have a heart like that. And oh, that we would all have a heart like that, that we would stop thinking about ourselves so much and we would love others like Paul does. But I digress. But Paul, his heart is overwhelmed with this desire and he gives the Ephesians a little glimpse of what he wants. So what does he want? First thing he wants in verse 17 is he prays that they would know God more. Verse 17, I keep asking. Hear the repetition. It's a present continuous. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, or the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. So three questions to ask quickly of verse 17 is, who's Paul praying to? And what is this spirit he's speaking of? And what is the spirit doing? Okay, those are the three questions I want to quickly answer here. Who's Paul praying to? He's praying to the God of the Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father. Now, one side note, this is a funny phrase. Hear this again, the God of Jesus. Now, if you've been around enough and you've studied something called the Trinity, you, you're familiar. This sounds a little funny. That Jesus has a God? I thought Jesus is God. Now, this is a spoiler alert. This is a, this is a shameless plug for our podcast that we just launched, our midweek podcast. I'm going to go into that more this week, okay? Just a reminder, the midweek podcast, what we couldn't say on Sunday is going to go, this is where Ross and I are going to go full-on nerd mode. We're going to release it all. We're not going to hold back, but on Sunday, we're going to communicate in a way that is going to be more accessible to unchurched and unbelievers, and so we're going to hold back some of those comments often on a Sunday, and so if you're like, whoa, why does he say that? Doesn't that sound like Arianism? What does that mean? What is Arianism, right? All that's going to be on the podcast, so that's a shameless plug, and also, if you have questions, we love to answer them on the podcast, so hit us up this week for, before Wednesday, because I was about to pull a VeggieTales. If you ever watch VeggieTales, they just have these fictitious kids like, Jimmy from Nebraska, right? God, why are you like, like, I was going to pull that on Sunday, on Wednesday, but I felt like that was dishonest because there is no Jimmy from Nebraska who wrote us in. So, so if you have any questions about the sermon or pushbacks, let us know, okay? End of commercial. All right. But no, he is praying to the Father of glory, and this is significant. That language, Father of glory or glory's Father, it's emphasizing his power, his splendor, which is important because he's praying for unbelievable things. And you can't pray, you can't ask just anybody these requests. You can't ask just a powerful person on the street who has money. Hey, would you grant, would you send the Spirit to grant me a spirit of wisdom or revelation? They, they can't do it. There's only one who can do it. And so just know this language of glorious Father is specific and it's supposed to give us hope. He's praying to someone who can do something about it. It's not impotent. He has power to do something in response to our request. Now, here's the question. Is this passage talking about the Holy Spirit or like just a generic spirit? Like the spirit of Christmas, right? A spirit. Or is he trying to say that he wants to grant the human spirit wisdom and revelation? So what is it? 
it's the Holy Spirit or our spirit or just like a generic sense of the spirit of Christmas, spirit of joy. I think it's the Holy Spirit. Here are three reasons, okay, quickly. Number one, what is being revealed is not just good ideas or morals, but God himself. This spirit that's revealing is not just like, oh, you know, you should go to this way. Oh, if you want to go to the store, take it right here. Right. It's not just this generic, it's, it's revealing God himself. And if you look at 1 Corinthians 10, 2.10 quickly, it should be on the screen. We see that the human spirit cannot disclose the hidden mysteries of God, cannot comprehend. These are the things God has revealed to us by his spirit. The spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. For who knows a person's thought except their own spirit within them? In the same way, no one knows the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. So in other words, the Spirit of God is the only one who can reveal the heart of God, the mind of God. And so that's reason one why I think this is the Holy Spirit, because to be honest, to just let you know in the text, in Greek, it's kind of ambiguous. It doesn't explicitly say the Holy Spirit. So number two, here's the second reason. Remember in verse 15 that they're believers. And if they're believers, they have the Holy Spirit. Remember, they were they were sealed in last week's passage. They've been sealed with the Holy Spirit. They've been filled with the Holy Spirit. We're going to talk about that in Ephesians chapter 5 in like three or four months. And according to 2 Corinthians, if you flip there quickly, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, 4 through 6, and we're going to skip 5. This gives us a picture of what people are like without Christ. The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Skip five. For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ. So if you've ever shared the good news with a family member or a friend, co-worker, and you're just saying, they don't, they're not seeing it. I'm seeing this. How can you not see this? Like, Jesus is the most amazing person. You can't see it. Why? Because they're blind. The God of this world, Satan has blinded them so they can't not see. So unless the Spirit of God removes this veil, they cannot see the glory of Christ. And so it just reminds me times where I've shared with co-workers back when I worked at In-N-Out. And I remember one of them saying, Sam, it just sounds so good, but it just doesn't, just doesn't click for me. I believe it, kind of, but it just doesn't. Why? He, he could comprehend it in a mental level, the good news, but, but he was spiritually blind. And it's just this beautiful picture right here, hearkening back to Genesis chapter 1, where there's darkness, and, and then all of a sudden, light shines. And God does it and brings life. In a similar way, these are Christians, according to verse, chapter 1, verse 15 in Ephesians. And so they have had their hearts enlightened. They have light that comes in. And it's only by the Spirit. And I just think, what a terrible thing for someone to be blind and they don't know it. See, for a blind man, he knows he's blind. They're reminded of every day. They can't see. But spiritual blindness, you can be blind and not even know it. And what a dreadful thing is that many of our friends and family, maybe, maybe some here tonight, are blind and they don't even know it. And so God, would you grant them sight, that they would see you 
as for who you are and see themselves in light of that. Here's our third, my third reason. If you go to chapter 1, verse 18, back in Ephesians, he says this, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened or illuminated. See, this, this word, illuminated or enlightened, is a participle, okay? Stay with me. I'm going to go nerd mode just for this one time, okay? I promise, all right? It's a participle in its in in something called the perfect tense. Now, a perfect tense, for those of you guys who are familiar, is something that has happened typically in the past and has present-day ramifications. Because of this happening, now this is still resulting to this present day. And so Paul is suggesting here by using the perfect tense that this illumination has already occurred. The second Corinthians chapter 4, the light shining into darkness has already happened, and he's asking for a greater measure of illumination. That light has shined, but he's saying, turn up the lights. It's still dim. We need more light here to see all that God is and all that he has for us in Christ. And so, this is the idea that we've just been talking about over and over again in Ephesians. It's already, but not yet, that we have the Spirit, but we need the Spirit in greater measures. We have light, but we need greater measures of light. And so we have it truly, but not fully. And throughout Ephesians, we even see this in chapter 5, that we want to be filled with the Holy Spirit. We're already filled, but we want greater measures of the Holy Spirit. And so this is kind of paradoxical for us, because either you have or you don't. But in, in Scripture here, it shows us that you can have greater measures of knowing God and having the Spirit. Now here's the third question. What is the Holy Spirit doing? What is Paul praying that the Holy Spirit would do? Verse 17. He's praying that this, the spirit of wisdom and revelation may be given to us so that you may know him better. Or that you may have the knowledge of God. That you may know him better. The Holy Spirit, from the beginning of any Christian's birth, is the only way you can know God. And the Holy Spirit, continuing from that moment of new birth, is the only way you can continually, continually know God in more measures. He doesn't give us one, one blessing by the Spirit and says, all right, do the rest. I've given you what you need. No, we need continual connection, dependence on the Holy Spirit. And this language, knowing God, the knowledge of God, it's, it's a very special term. It's, it's not just like a knowing, like cerebral knowing. Like you could just know a subject. Like, oh yeah, I know biology. I actually don't know biology. Like, but I know, let's just say I did. I know biology. I took classes. I've mastered it. No, no, no. This is not a knowing that you use for like mastering a subject. It's like knowing a person. There's an intimacy to this knowing here. One scholar says the word know here has an Old Testament heritage behind it in which the word yada in Hebrew often expressed sexual intimacy. Adam knew his wife. It's a KJV in Genesis chapter 4 verse 1. It is the spiritual parallel of, that, of this that Jesus has in mind in describing those who have eternal life. So obviously this breaks down at some level because this is a sexual term, but this idea of in, in, in remembering sex is ultimately just a foreshadow of ultimate intimacy and oneness with God. 
So it's all touching this base of like this, this picture that we're going to be one with him and we're going to know him deeply. And so when we say we want you to have, when Paul says he wants the Ephesians to have a, the knowledge of God, he's saying, I want you to know him more intimately as a person, not as a subject, not as a doctrine. See, mere knowledge of God puffs up, but what we want here, according to this passage, is revelation. Revelation brings you to your knees. And the danger is, especially in our circles, Friends, we have a lot of people who have a lot of knowledge of God, and they're very puffed up, and I can be very puffed up, and we need revelation by the Spirit so that we would be brought low. Mere knowledge of God can deceive and even damn you because you think you know, but you actually don't know Him. While revelation of God is likened to an encounter with God and it transforms everything. We need a revelation of God. Let's, let's explore more about this idea of what it means to know someone. So, some of you guys probably know this guy. His name is Jeremy Lin. Okay? You guys know who Jeremy Lin is? Okay? I kind of look like him from the side. I, can't, I don't look like him anymore because he has dreads. I don't know why I did that. That's strange. Uh, Chinese guy with dreads. But Jeremy Lin is a hero of mine. I've been following him ever since Lin Sanity. And for a time, he took the world by storm. He was the most popular, most Googled person within a month. He was Sports Illustrated twice on the cover. He was like, he was everything, okay? And I know a lot of facts about Jeremy Lin. I can tell you quite a bit. And in fact, I've watched enough interviews and realistic documentaries and home videos. I kind of know his personality too. I kind of know how he's, he's at in different ways. I'm even on his prayer list that he sends out to dedicated people to pray for different things in his life because he's actually a Christian. But imagine me going to Phillips Arena because he got traded to the Hawks because the Nets have betrayed him. Okay. He's now a Hawk, and I go up to the security and say, hey, I know Jeremy Lin. Let me go see him. They're probably going to say, well, does he know you? Unless he comes out and says, oh, hey, Sam, Sam Choi, come on in. He doesn't, I don't really know him. I just know about him. So this word knowing is a mutual knowing that this, this text that Paul is using. It's I know him, he knows me. And that's the kind of knowledge that God desires of us. Not for us to merely know facts. So one day we say, hey God, hey I read these books and I know that you are like this and you're omnipotent and you're this, you're that. And he's like, but do you know me? There's an intimacy that he desires. And sadly, I think the case for many of us who have grown up in the church, we have the danger of knowing a lot about him but not knowing him. So the words of Matthew 7, 22 to 23 are very applicable. Many will say to me that day, Lord, Lord. And notice they're calling him Lord. They're not just saying like, hey, you, you. They're saying, Lord, you're my Lord. Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? And so they're prophesying. Who here prophesies? And Drive out demons in your name? I bet most of us haven't driven out demons and performed many miracles. And yet, despite doing all this stuff and calling them Lord, Jesus will say, plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evil doers. What a, what a dreadful text. And I just had a vision of this when I was prepping earlier today. And I just kind of imagined, and this illustration will break down, but I think it's helpful. I imagined this really exclusive VIP club that was owned by a guy, let's just call him named Jesus, okay? And Jesus owns this club, and only his family can get in. And I imagine a guy saying, hey, guys, I get you in. I know the guy. I know Jesus. They're like, really? You really know him? Yeah, I, I totally know him. All right, just watch this. 
come on with me. And they're like pushing through the crowd, trying to get to the front of the line. There's like a, you know, giant bouncer. And then he sees Jesus. Jesus is on the, like, you know, coming out, like signing. I don't know what he's doing, but he's there. And they're like, Jesus, 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 Jesus. And Jesus looks over at the guy and, guys, and he says, Jesus, it's me, Sam. And he says, who? And I just started crying at Panera, just feeling this weight that some of us maybe in this room or maybe we'll hear this are going to be like, Jesus, Jesus. He's going to be like, I, I, I don't know you. I don't know you. And, and, and we may say stuff like, but, but remember, remember Sunday school? Remember Awanas? Or remember that camp that I went to and I prayed a prayer? Or remember the, the church I was part of? It was a church plan. It was hardcore. It was called All People's Church. And remember, I did all these things. And, and I, I don't know you. I don't know you. So you may know about God, but does he know you? Does he call your name? What a dreadful thing that day. If you could just see that in your mind's eye, this idea of just vast number of people that you cannot even see the end of. And Jesus on the judgment day and the last day, he just goes over you. He's going through the line and he passes over you. And you're like, but, but I, me, it's me. And he's like, I don't, I don't, I don't know you. What a dreadful thing that will be true for some, for many, sadly. And so may God, may that not be anyone in this room or anyone who can hear my voice. And if you're not positive he knows you and he'll claim you, we would love to talk to you. We'd love to talk to you about what it looks like to follow Jesus and to know him. So please come to us afterwards. We'd love to walk with you in that. See, this passage is pretty straightforward if you read it. And at first, I was like, God, what am I going to say about the sermon? It's like, oh, yeah, he wants us to know more. What do I say? But what has been haunting me for the last week is, do I really want to know him more? Do I really want someone to pray this prayer for me? It's like the prayer for humility. You guys ever prayed, oh, God, would you help me be more humble? That's like a really scary first, like, thing to pray, right? And if, if you ever prayed that, like, God answers that one really fast. Like, if you want to know God's real and you're like, does prayer work? Just pray that God would humble you because that will, like, come, like, right after you say it, right? And I was like, do I really want this prayer to be true of me? So I started thinking about this a lot. What keeps us from this prayer? What keeps us from these realities? And to have a relationship, to start off this foundation, to have a relationship, you have to have two parties who are willing to be in a relationship, Right? And I don't know about you guys, but there's been times in my life, especially certain crushes I had. Sorry, Joanna. But that I really wanted to get to know. And I pursued. And they just didn't have, want to do anything with me. They just they didn't want, I mean, maybe that never happened to you. But that happened to me a number of times. Amen, amen. I got a witness. All right. I said a lot of things, but that was the first time I got amen. <laughs> Jesus is great. Crickets. <laughs> Anyone been rejected? Amen. All right. And so we've all experienced that. And in a more painful, less humorous way, we've, some of us have had family members or fathers who we deeply wanted more intimacy, more affection, more attention from, and they, had, they didn't want it. We, we pursued, we, we, hey, you want to play catch, or you want to come to my, my recital, or you want to do this thing. Oh, sorry, I'm busy, or I, I, I'm not interested in that. What a terrible thing when you have a relationship where it's one-sided, where one wants it and the other doesn't. One of the great news in this text and great news in the Bible is that God wants that. 
from us. We're not in the situation where like, hey God, you want to spend time with, you want to know me? You want to be with me? And he's like, uh, not really. I know your history. I know your thought life. I know your brokenness. No, no, no. He said, no, no, no. Not only do I want you, I've made a way for you. And it cost me my son. That's how bad I wanted to be with you. Right? That, is, that is scandalous. That does not make sense. God has already done everything and demonstrated his willingness. So, the one huge potential barrier in this scenario has been definitively taken care of. Now, the issue is us, the other party, because you need two to tango, as they say. So what are the barriers remaining that keep me from more of God? I'm trying to ask myself this, and so the first one that I thought of is my biggest barrier is myself. I just love myself too much. That's my first big barrier. And in our culture, there is a huge push for self-love, self-knowledge, for self-esteem. And I'm not necessarily against all that. I mean, there's personalities tests abound, and I love all of them. But you hear this all the time. You got to know yourself. You got to know yourself. Hey, you can't love people until you love yourself. You got to love yourself and know yourself. And so lots of us spend money on personality tests and counselors and books because we want to know ourselves. But yet in verse 18, Paul is going to pray that we know ourselves better, but note that it comes after verse 17. The order is important because verse 17, he wants us to know God, and then verse 18, then he says, how do we see ourselves in light of God? The order is eternally important. We don't start with us, we start with him. In the words of John Calvin, he says this, it is certain that man never achieves a clear knowledge of himself unless he has first looked upon God's face and then descends from contemplating him to scrutinize himself. Yet our culture has flipped this. Hence why God is constantly twisted to look like us because we start from here instead of there. So we need to get over ourselves and look to him more. And that is my issue is I love myself too much to want to know him more because love is limited. You can't love everything equally. And so for me to love God more and to know him more, which means that I would have to love myself less. And oftentimes I'm not willing to do that. Number two, I love the world too much. Let me talk about relationships again, the nature of relationships. Relationships are a zero-sum game. Zero-sum game is something that I've heard for years, and I just recently learned what it meant, but it was like one of those words that you hear enough that you kind of like nod along like you know, and you're like, I don't, I actually don't know what they're saying. Uh, that wasn't me just like a year ago. Zero-sum game is kind of like finances where let's say we have a church budget of $100,000. For me to get more than I already get would mean that Ross would get less because there's a, a limited amount. There, so... For him to gain more means I have less. For me to gain more, he has less. And so that's a common terminology for economics. And also, it works for relationships. In other words, I can't be like, I want to be super close to Joanna and then super close to Ross, super close to Joel, super close, super close, super close. All of you, we're going to be best friends. Right? It doesn't work. It doesn't work, right? There's a limited, finite amount of time, affection, attention. So you can't just be super close to everyone. Who's your best friend? I have 50. That doesn't make sense. Right? And so relationships are a zero-sum game. And like marriage, other lovers can destroy the marriage if there are many others competing for time, attention, and resources. 
and I need to be careful because this illustration can break down because our relationship with God and our relationship with our spouse or our relationship with our career is not necessarily at odds with each other. They can be harmonized with each other, but the order is often flipped. Christ is first, and everything revolves around him as the son. And so I don't want to make the dichotomy, the false dichotomy, say like either you love your spouse or you love Jesus. It's not exactly how Scripture talks about them, but Jesus must be the sun in all of our solar systems. But it's the same way in our relationship with God. I, I'm afraid I don't want more of Him to know more of Him because it's going to cost my time, attention, my resources, and I, it's a zero-sum game. If I were to give God more of that, that means I would have less for my Netflix or less for my spending on the fun things that I want to spend on. See, it's a zero-sum game. You can't have both at the max. And a deeper relationship with any person will affect you at some level. If they're a terrible person over time, that can make you deeply terrible and wicked. If they're a gloriously wonderful, gracious, generous person, over time that can totally transform you too. In the same way with God, the closer we get, the more we have to become more like Him. And as much as it sounds nice for all of us to say we want to be like Christ, but do you really want to be Christ? Because the other day you said that, and then you had an opportunity to forgive someone who wronged you, and you didn't want to do that. So do you really want to be like Christ? I really want to be like Christ to be generous, but uh, I don't want to give money money this year because I want to spend it on this thing that I've been really looking forward to. See, we all say we want to be like Christ because Christ is who we want to be like, but yet we want to be like us so often too. So here's the question, do you want him to influence you? Do you realize a greater knowledge of him, a greater intimacy will require more from you? You're willing to give up your careers if necessary or willing to give up your idols. The way you spend your time, the way you watch what you watch on Netflix, the way you spend your money. See, if I pray this prayer for you, I am necessarily praying that all your love for your other idols that compete with God would die. So it's not like, oh, I hope they just keep that terrible relationship and yet increase the knowledge of God. No, no, no. For you to increase the knowledge of God, you've got to get rid of that terrible relationship. It's a zero-sum game, remember? See, this is so painful because we love our idols. That's why they're an idol, because we love them. And they're competing for our affection or our love for God. And so are we ready to pay the price it costs to know Him? And so I say, do not pray this prayer if you think, I don't want that. See, that prayer, if, you're saying, if you want to say it sincerely, you're saying no to a lot of other things then. No to different hobbies, potentially. Different pursuits. I don't know what that is. May the Holy Spirit reveal that to all of us because for some, one thing could be a very good thing and for others, that one thing, that same thing could be very terrible. So I don't know who, what that is and that's why it's great that we have the Holy Spirit and it's great we have missional communities and DNA groups because people can help you navigate through that. So the question that I'm haunted with is this. Do I really want to know and love God more than myself and to know and love him more than the world? I just want that question to sit. Do you really want him? There are a lot of things to want in life. Career goals, successful relationships, all these different things. But do you want Christ more than all of those put together? Can you, like Paul, say in Philippians 3, hey, put all my accomplishments, 
accomplishments, all of my treasures in life, you put them all here and on a scale, and then on their side put Christ, and none, none of those matter compared to him. You could take my health, you can take my wealth, you can take everything I have, and Christ is more valuable than all of them put together. And that's what I want for myself, because so often Christ is not as valuable as my things. Now to the next desire Paul has for us. Remember the first one is that he's praying that we would know God intimately more by his spirit. And now he's going to pray that that same spirit is going to illuminate us to know all that we have in Christ. Remember the prayer initially was, Father, may the Holy Spirit open our eyes to know all that we have, to see all that we have in God, all, that, all of who God is. And also that the spirit would help us know all that we have in Christ. So there's three things Paul is praying for. Three things. Paul prays that we'd have a better spiritual vision if you're taking notes. The great hope, number one, that which he has called us. So you want to just write that word, hope, that we will share in his glory. Number two, that our eyes will be open to the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. So you can write inheritance, <clears throat> or God's inheritance, actually. Spoiler alert. Number three, write power. All his surpassing power that's on us and for us and will continue until our glorification. Now, next week, we're going to continue the series, and we will talk about that power. So starting from verse 19 to the rest of the end, end of the chapter. But we're going to focus on hope and inheritance. When I mean next week, I mean the 19th, because we won't be here. Okay. Verse 18, if you want to look at it with, you, with me in the Bible. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you. Stop there. Do, do you know that you have eyes on your heart? <laughs> That's right. You have eyes on your heart. Not physical eyes, not your physical heart, but Scripture talks about heart as like the very center of who you are. It's the whole inner life with its feelings and emotions, the most true and center of who you are. And so as Paul is saying at the heart of you, not at the mind, not at the mind level, not the cerebral level, but at your very heart, would you have eyes, would your eyes be open to, be, to see all that you have? So again, back to the kind of blind imagery that we have a treasure full, uh, a room full of treasures, but we're blind and we're like, oh my gosh, we're so poor. So imagine that in a spiritual sense. Imagine this room right here. This is a large room. And it's just piled with treasure. If you've ever seen The Hobbit, you know, that mountain with the, the, the dragon, and it's just surrounded by gold and treasures. And yet there's a blind man in the middle of that room, in the middle of this room, and he's like, man, I'm just so poor. I have nothing. I've, nobody has less than me. And that's kind of what it is for the Christian. We have all these treasures, and Paul is saying, oh, if only you would see all that God has for you. He's begging that we would see that. The hope that we have. Remember, we've been talking about all these blessings we have, the hope that we have stored for us in heaven and now. Remember, the Father irreversibly and unconditionally predestined us, chose us for adoption. And the Son irreversibly redeemed us by His blood. And the Spirit irreversibly seals us until we get God and He gets us. And remember, what is this great hope that we have? Is that we get God. That we get Him. 
him himself. And when if you get God, you get the whole universe. You get all of the earth. If you seek to get the whole earth and not get God, you miss everything. You don't get God nor the earth. Which is why Jesus says in Matthew chapter 16, verse 26, what good will it be for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? What can anyone give in exchange for their soul? Are you needing some hope? I pray that the Spirit would grant to us hope, that God would give us a sight, no matter what your current situation or how hard it is, that he would give us sight to all the glorious hope we have in him that we will have soon. Second, Paul also prays that we would have a vision of God's inheritance. What is God's inheritance? Look at that verse again. That you may know the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people. Notice the pronouns here. Notice the pronouns here. Whose inheritance? This is where you could speak back. Whose inheritance is he speaking of? His, God's. And we spoke about this last week. Like, if, if God were to have a house and he were to take you room to room and show you all of his treasures, oh, here, here's Venus. And let me tell you, let me show you Jupiter. You've never, not seen anything yet. Here's Jupiter. And he says, but last of all, my greatest treasure is down this hall. And he would take you through this figurative hall. He opens up the door, it's the church. This is my greatest inheritance, this is my greatest treasure. What a scandal that is, especially if you know who the church is made up, people like me and you. And all of us here, we all have that longing for value. All of us long for people to value us and to see us, how great we are. Many of us here are driven in life, trying to get people to value us, to like us, to tell us we're enough, to tell us we're somebody, to be gifted enough, to be successful enough. So our life is this constant hamster wheel, trying to be better so that people can recognize and value us. And yet, the good news is that God already values you like that if you are in Christ. Just as you are, which is so stripping and yet so freeing. So stripping and humbling because we can't say, oh, because of this, because of this. And yet so freeing because we don't have to do anything. He loves us as we are, not as we should be. He owns all the heavens and all the innumerable worlds, but we are his treasure. Listen, this says more about him than it says about us. I just want to make sure that's said. It's not because we're so impressive, but because God has chosen to set his love, that he has so condescended himself, his transcendence to love sinners like us. It's a, it's a crazy thing. Who is like this God? Could you... Could you imagine making up a God like this? Would you ever write this in a script if you were to make up your own religion? It does not make sense. The only way it could be true, the only way it could be so is because it's true. So let's summarize using our five questions for interpreting the Bible. So number one, what's the context? And I, I send it out to our group this week. I encourage you every week for the next passage, ask these five questions. Practice that. Get prepared before we gather and ask these questions of the text and see if we line up. And if you see something I don't, which you will, let me know. I want to see it too. What's the context? Well, Paul has just unpacked these three great blessings that we have in Christ, and they're guaranteed. Who is God? He's a Father. He's a Son. He's a Spirit. And He desires to know us intimately. He desires us as His inheritance. What has he done? 
He has given His Spirit to illuminate us for more of Him. He has made us His inheritance, His chosen possession. And He's working powerful towards us by His Spirit, the same Spirit that raised Christ from the dead, which is going to be next week's next message. Now, who are we in light of that? In light of all that He has done, we are His inheritance. And we have been given the hope to inherit Himself and all, all the world. And we have the Spirit working powerfully in us and through us and towards us. So now the question is this, how shall we now live? How shall we now live in light of all these glorious truths of who God is, who He's for us, and what He's done for us? So here's my, I'm going to just have a number of questions that I want you to consider as we wrap up. What do we put before our physical eyes that keep or hinder our spiritual eyes from seeing more of God? What do we put before our physical eyes that can hinder our spiritual eyes? And i got to be really careful with what I'm about to say. Listen, I love me some Netflix. And I, and I really want to be careful because this can come across really legalistic, but this is not about salvation. This is not about works, righteousness. It's about intimacy with God. I want to be careful not to say what you can or cannot watch, but let me just say this. I truly believe media is killing many of us Christians. We are so inoculated by it. We're so fascinated by it. We are so prone to be addicted to it that we have no room or capacity to see God. Who has room for God? Why would you read your Bible, this ancient text that you have to transcend lots of context to understand and to, it takes work and it can be hard and, and, and joy is sometimes fleeting. Why would you do that when you have instant Netflix, instant entertainment that can just dull your heart, dull your spiritual senses? And I just want to make sure I say this, and, I, and I'm afraid I'm going to qualify this too much in order to take away the blunt, but I, I want to guard from the temptation you think I'm being legalistic. I will watch Netflix. I will continue to watch it. We may watch it tonight. Actually, Amazon Prime. But my point is, beware. Are there physical things that you're looking at that is dulling your spiritual sight? Is it blinding your spiritual sight? Don't think that it's so, so neutral and it does not affect your spiritual eyes. These things can, even good things, even good shows, good movies that have redeeming value, those can dull our eyesight. What are the things that we are hoping in that hinder our ability to hope in all that God has in store for us? Are there any things in our life right now, whether it's your bank account statement or your 401k or some stock that's hot or some relationship or some situation that you are clinging to for hope and that is hindering your hope in God? What do we need to change this week so that we can intentionally order our lives to know God more? and for us to know all that we have in Him. See, this kind of spiritual sight is not accidental. You don't just stumble upon it. It is in a, a life that is set intentionally, that in the words of Ephesians, that watch over your life, watch over the way you walk, for the days are evil. Is your whole life intentionally scheduled and intentionally ordered so that you may know Christ more? and that you may know all that He has for you, and that you would, in light of that, in response to that, be used to give that to others. And my final question is this. Are we trying to find our, our worth in others besides God? 
do you really believe that you are his inheritance? And if you do, do you really believe that your father finally saying you're good enough? Or your coworkers, or your friends, your boys, or whoever it is, that they have a greater voice than God? That their voice is more valuable than the voice of the Father who says, I unconditionally elect you, I can unconditionally choose you, I've adopted you as my own. Their voices matter, they do, they do, but not like His. Who are we putting our worth in? And remember, all of this, I got to be careful for you not to walk away saying, oh man, I need to just work on all this. All this comes by the Holy Spirit, only by the Holy Spirit. And God also provides means like the church, and that's why we do this journey together. I'm, we're not all individually going to go out. We're going to do this together as a community. We don't do this alone. We need the community to press into Christ together. We need others to help us. Listen, the deck is stacked, stacked against us. The whole world is vying for our attention, vying and fighting to blind us from Christ. So we need each other to fight for each other's sight. And I'm begging you guys, as some of those, you, those of you who are members here, to fight for my sight. Help me see Christ more. Help my wife see Christ more. Help my kids see Christ. Help each other be committed to fighting for each other's sight and not contributing to the blindness that we already are swimming against. So you want to know what you should pray for each other on a daily basis? For APC? You know, people often say, hey, I can pray for you. Or, hey, prayer request? Pray this. Father, would the Holy Spirit open their eyes to know who you are and to know all they have in Christ? If you want to know what to pray for me as one of your pastors and pray for Ross, our pastoral candidates, pray that the Father would grant the Holy Spirit to in us in greater measure so that we would know all that he is and all that we have in Christ. The greatest thing I need is to know God more. If I want to be a good shepherd, if I want to be a good pastor for you, I need to know him more than anything and I, want to, I need to enjoy him more than anything. And if we want to give anything to the world, that's what we need. Imagine what it would be like if our whole church family were committed to knowing God and knowing who we are in Christ together. That our whole lives were intentionally ordered to intimately know him and seek his favor and enjoy the favor we already have. And let me remind you this, that God wants you to know him. In that great news? He wants you to have this. That's why you're hearing this message. It is not accidental that you're here. He wants you to have him. And if you know Christ, he wants you to know him more. And if you don't know Christ like this, he wants you to know him. And so I say, if you call upon him, he will save you and he will bring you into this relationship. And we'd love to talk to you more about this. And so, Father, would the Holy Spirit open our eyes to know who you are and to know all that we have in Christ. Amen.